Galatians chapter, let's see, put my bookmark here, Galatians 4. Okay, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? We can be here, we can open our Bible, we can worship Him, we can fellowship together. Uh, it is an amazing place to be. So Galatians chapter... Yeah, just making sure I got the right. <laughs> chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. But the under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, amen, God sent forth his firstborn son of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Amen. Now let's turn to Exodus chapter 4. We'll be in Exodus and back to Galatians. We'll be going back and forth here. Exodus 4, verse 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son and your firstborn. It's <laughs> a good verse to open up with, huh? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for... For today, we thank you that we can be here. We thank you that you are here amongst us, that you uh, desire to be where your people are and where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus. And that's whose name, that's the banner that we come here under is the name of Jesus. And we are excited to be here to lift up that banner and shout your name, Lord. We are excited, Lord, to, and that we could be a city on a hill in a dark place and shine brightly, Lord. We pray for this service that you will bless us with your presence and with your word. Give us understanding. We also pray for the events that are coming up next Saturday that you could win people uh, to yourself, draw them to yourself, Lord. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, how many of you ever have felt like you're a slave to something? Yeah, at my house, you know, this is a secret, and I can say because my wife's over there. <laughs> but there's this mound of laundry that never seems to go away. You know, I had this nice little sofa in my room with this nice little stand where I could potentially read a book. But usually what happens is that there's a stack of laundry that doesn't allow me to read my book there. And it's funny because as soon as I fold it, it miraculously reappears moments later. So it doesn't matter how hard we work, but there is always a pile of laundry on that couch. And I feel like I'm a slave to that laundry. <laughs> you know, but in a, in a real way, um, I'd like us to think about today how Satan has desired to put us in bondage. There's an interesting verse 
in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13, 13, verse 3. And listen to what Moses calls Egypt. He says, And Moses said to the people, Went out of Egypt, and out of, uh, remember this day which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Remember this day that you went out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of his of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. You know, how did Israel come out of Egypt? <laughs> it's a good question, right? How did Israel come out of Egypt? It is very simply, and we see it here as out of the power, the mighty hand of God brought them out of Egypt. And it wasn't one miracle that brought them out of Egypt. It was one miracle after another miracle. You think about it, okay? There is a miracle happening in Goshen where Israel is, and then there is a, a, a plague or a curse happening in Egypt. So with every plague, which is another type of miracle, against the people who are not of God, there is a miracle for the people of God, Right? So could you imagine being an Israelite, and here you are, for 400 years, you are a slave. Actually, you know, let's read this, Exodus chapter 1. Listen to these adjectives. Exodus 1, 10 through 14. It says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Yeah, there's a good adjective. Let's deal shrewdly with them, that they, lest they multiply, and if... War breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them and afflicted them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and more they spread abroad. The Egyptians were dread in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, with mortar, brick, and all kinds of work in the fields. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You know, that is why Moses, 400 years later, calls Egypt a house of bondage. Because the word bondage and the word slave are very closely connected. One is the noun, right, for who I am as a person, and the other one is a verb for what I do. You know, so here I am. I am a child of God. I am called by God, and I have been given a great promise by God. And every time I meditate on the promise of God from Genesis chapter 15, from the founding fathers, I think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think about Joseph. Anybody home? <laughs> and I think about Joseph and I think about the hand of God upon my people's life and I am amazed. But then I look at my life now and I find myself, I am a slave. I am a servant. Now look at these two words. This is amazing because slave means someone who is, uh, who is in a state of subjection. 
I am in the state of subjection where I am constantly doing the well bidding, the bidding of somebody else and not of my own doing. Okay? And being in bondage means that they are in the permanent state of bondage. They are in a permanent state where they are constantly fulfilling the duties that is being asked of them. So let's think about Egypt, uh, Israel in Egypt right now. They are slaves. For 400 years, they are under subjection to another government. And we read in Exodus chapter 1, this government did not care about them at all. And we're going to get there in a minute, but we realize uh, in, Gal in Galatians chapter 4, we realize to be redeemed means one thing here. I mean, we're going to jump ahead, but it means that right now in the state of slavery, I am being misappropriated. Meaning this, that you in your life, is, okay, let's think about Israel before we go to you. Israel's life, what were they designed for? Yeah, I mean, now they are <laughs> because they're in Egypt. But what were they really designed for? They were designed to worship. That is why we read in Exodus chapter 4, Moses is standing before Pharaoh on the 10th plague and saying, let my son Israel go that they may worship and serve me. It's the same word. Serve Egypt and serve me. It's the same word. What was Israel designed to do? Their servanthood, their subjection was to God, and they were designed to worship Him. And for 400 years, what did they do? They worked. I mean, listen to those adjectives again. You know, let's just go through. Shrewdly, affliction, oppressed, ruthlessly, bitter, <laughs> they made their lives bitter with hard service. You know, heavy burdens, uh, affliction. These different words are being described on Israel's life. So imagine here we are, we're looking in Galatians, and Paul is talking to a group of believers, okay? He is talking to a group of believers, and he is saying, like, you are a child of God's. You are a child of God. But actually, this word that he uses in, in verse 1, the word actually means that you are an infant. And the Greek word for infant there means you are one who e can't even speak. <laughs> You're not only immature, you know, like some children are immature, but they can at least express themselves. But Paul here is talking about a group of children that they are so mature that they can't even speak. And in, in today's language, you can't speak and you're still using diapers. That would be, that's what we would be saving, saying. You know, and he's saying that there is no difference between you and his servants. Okay? Why? Because you are completely enabled to to live inside of your inheritance. See, I am a child, but I am still going in my diaper. And I'm still not able to talk. Do I have an inheritance? Yes, because I believe in Christ. You know, and here is Israel. Do they have an inheritance? Yes, they believe in God. But are they experiencing their inheritance? No, they're not. 
They are like a child. They are a slave. They are in subjection to somebody else, and they are completely unable to experience their position in Christ. So in Galatians chapter 1, let's turn back there. Because there are two sayings here. Galatians 1, 4, right? It says, in the fullness of time, what did God do? He sent Christ, right? But also, something similar is said in, in, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. And it says it a little differently. It says, it came in the process of time that Pharaoh forgot Joseph. It's almost the same word. There is a, it came in the process of time that Pharaoh forgot Joseph. And it came in, in four forces. In the fullness of time, Christ came. You know, there's two things of time happening here in our lives. You know, you could think about it in your life that you could be functioning in the process of time. And what I mean about this, here you are, you are a child of God. And we're going to get into this here in a few minutes. But you are a child of God. And in the process of time, you have forgotten your inheritance that Christ has given you. And what happens to you? You become a slave. You begin to be, uh, um, yeah, what's the word here that I'm looking for? You are being misappropriated. You're being, you know, you think about a, you know, I'm, I'm a carpenter, so at work sometimes I use a hammer, right? But when there's not a hammer right there, sometimes I use something else to hit the nail. You know, I have a drill, so I start using my drill to hammer in the nail. And what happens? I break my drill. You know, it's a misapplication of the tool, you know. So here it is. Like, I am a believer. I have an inheritance. Israel, they are believing in God, and they are trusting God to deliver them, but they're being misappropriated, their misapplication of their soul, of who they are, the misapplication of their life. And what are they doing? They are in subjection to the world. In Galatians, they are in subjection to the law. Very specifically in Galatians chapter 3, Paul is saying, like, you are saved by grace. <laughs> There's nothing greater than grace. You are saved by grace. But you are going to turn to the law now, the Mosaic law, and try to per- perfect your life? He says, no, this can't happen. This can't happen. There is a misapplication of your soul. You were designed a certain way to receive from God and to continue to receive. But if you put yourself under the subjection of the law, or if you're a Gentile like we all are here, you know, you put yourself under subjection of Satan's kingdom, what happens to yourself? (laughs) You find yourself in bondage. And in Galatians chapter 1, You know, verse, I think it says three, you were in bondage under the elements of the world. That is in the past perfect tense, meaning that it is something that happened in your life and it has continual results in in your life now. Okay, so some of us are believers. We receive Christ into our hearts, but some things in our life don't change. And we continue to live in a way 
that is not serving God, but is serving another kingdom. And our spirit is being misapplied. And we wonder today why the world has so many problems. Because they are in bondage. Exodus chapter 13, verse 3. They are in a house of bondage. What are they in a bondage to? They're in bondage to works. Can I work my way to heaven? Can I work my way to God? Can I work my way to a more spiritual life? Can I read the Bible more and become more spiritual and get closer to God? You know, the thing is, it is only by grace. That is where you start and that is where you have to continue. But people are in bondage to things that are much worse. I mean, I know people that today, they're in bondage to alcohol and they're in bondage to drugs. And they know their Bible. They know theology, yet they have no deliverance. Why? 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 I mean, very simply, here, Moses and Paul are saying that they are un- they're in the house of bondage. And they find themselves in a place where they are consistently serving another kingdom despite their knowledge. And that can happen to any one of us here. At any moment, any one of us could find ourselves in a house of bondage. You know, maybe actually you being here is a form of bondage for you. Because you come here out of duty, not out of Christ drawing you. Maybe you serving God could be a house of bondage because you haven't realized that it is grace that draws us. It is the love of God that draws us and propels us forward and lets us continue in the work of God forever. And Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 1, if I don't realize, you know, if I don't realize, I mean, let's read it, verse 5. It says, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law. What did he send him forth to do? One word, redeem. Redeem. Pastor Jason said it a couple weeks ago, talking about the vases, right? And in John chapter 2 on a Thursday night, talking about redemption. Here in John chapter 2 are these vases. They got, Jesus says, fill them with water. And it turns to wine. The vases are redeemed. The wedding is redeemed. The bride is redeemed. The bridegroom is redeemed. The, the, the person who made the wine is redeemed. I mean, there were multiple levels of redemption happening there. What was Jesus sent into this world to do? Redeem. It's a simple word. It's a simple word. This word redeem means to buy out of the hands of Satan. Interesting, isn't it? Here we are, we are God's creation. Yet God has to buy us out of Satan's hands. But that's what sin does. Sin puts us in another kingdom. We talked about that on this past Thursday. Right? We were in darkness, but then we were in lights. There is a spiritual transformation in our life that happens. And how does that happen? It happens through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ through his blood. We are redeemed. We are bought back from Satan's kingdom. And I just love that idea. 
that it doesn't matter today how passive you are in a sense of evil. That if you are not spiritually tuned in and walking alongside of God, that it's very possible that your soul and your spirit is active in the kingdom of Satan. <laughs> it's a very interesting thought. Because if you, real, if you look at Genesis, right, there is a tree of knowledge of good and evil and there's a tree of life. On the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there's two sides, right? There's knowledge of good, there's also evil, but both of them are not the tree of life. See, there is good on that side of the tree, but that is still from the wrong tree. It is still from the wrong kingdom. And here am I, it is very possible that in my life, I am in bondage to goodness versus godness. <laughs> because the word actually good in, the, in English is derived from the word to be like God. Oh my goodness. You could say, oh my godness. You know, goodness means to be like God. So when I say, hey, I am good, it's like me saying, like, okay, I am like God in its origin. And how many people say, hey, do you need prayer? Oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> oh, they're saying, like, oh, I'm like God, actually. I don't need any prayer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if I am eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I am still feeding from the wrong tree, and I am serving the wrong kingdom, and I find myself that I am still in bondage. I'm still in servitude. So it doesn't matter how good you are, you can still be in a house of bondage. And it's amazing, here we are, we are a group of believers, and we could be in sin today. I mean, I don't know anything that's going on here in your life. But you could be in sin today, but it's still amazing because you are still much more free than any good person out there because you are redeemed by God. You have been redeemed by God. And Bill Mounts, I mean, I don't know, do we still have Greek class in Bible school? Does anybody know? Do we still teach Greek in, at NBCNS now? Yeah, it was funny. Like, my last year in China, it was like crazy. <laughs> I had to teach Greek to a bunch of Chinese students. <laughs> <laughs> And my first Greek test that I gave them, <laughs> everybody was crying. <laughs> they were like looking at the test and just crying. Like, and they walked out of the classroom. <laughs> they were so depressed, you know. But the Bill Mounts is one of the Greek teachers, you know, if you ever take Greek. He says this about the word redeem. It means, it means to rescue from loss or to rescue from misapplication. To rescue from loss. I mean, we always use the word that we were lost and now we're found, right? What does that really mean? I mean, yes, that means maybe your life at one point was evil and now you're in the house of God right now. But I want to say it another way. That you, in your action, was serving another kingdom. And you are serving another kingdom that you were never designed to serve. And Christ came down and said, you are my son. Israel, my son. Let them go. You are my son. Let them go. 
so they can serve and they can worship me. You know, it's interesting, in the beginning of this whole stage, Moses asked to let them go so that they could only go and serve and worship him for a couple days in the deserts. And Pharaoh was so proud and so afraid, he said no. And what did he do? He made them work harder. Next plague, work harder. Next plague, work harder. And harder and harder and harder. And finally God said, you know what? Israel is my firstborn. They are a child. They are an infant. They haven't yet experienced the promise that I'm about to give them. And you know what? They are, re- they are redeemed out of Egypt. But they're still not mature children yet, are they? Forty more years in the desert. And a whole generation dies in the desert. And only their children experience what? The inheritance. The inheritance. And a little side note, you know, for parents here, this is a biblical kind of teaching. Like, maybe you work hard to teach your children God now. And there is a promise that God gives you, but you may never experience it, but your children can. Your children can. I think of my father, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I grew up in a good home. I'm very blessed. You know, my, my dad was around, my mom was around, my dad is now a pastor. Growing up, he was a youth pastor. You know, so we had a lot of fun growing up. And I was like nine years, like my son actually, running around with teenagers. You know, but, you know, I can't help but imagine that God gave him a promise. And he lived part of the inheritance. But how much joy there can be in his life to see his children serving God. In a, in a, even maybe in another way, in a greater inheritance. And here we are, we are living in the world where there is like a pharaoh, where there is a kingdom with a king, and his desire is to devour us. And every miracle that God brings, it seems like the, wor- the world comes down even harder. But Jesus is saying, no, this is my son. No, this is my son. And I am going to preserve my child. And I'm going to call them out of Egypt and into a place where they are now going to be called the redeemed. Amen. And that is what we are called. Right. We talk about positional truth. One of the first positions that we realize is that we are redeemed by God. Amen. And now our spirits, our soul, our, our, our life, the way we walk, the way we function, the way we think, the, our emotions, all these things can now be transformed. Spiritual transformation. Our spirit can be transformed, and now we begin to think like God. We begin to feel like God. I begin to walk the way God would walk. I begin to act the way God would act. I begin to put hands on people that God would have me to put hands on people. I begin to find myself acting the way Jesus would. And that is why Jesus said to his disciples, you are amazed by what I do, but greater things will you do. Greater things will you do. Have we stopped believing that? Have we stopped believing in our inheritance? Are we okay with saying, oh, we live in a lukewarm society. I expect the church to be empty. Are you okay with that? 
Because if you are, I dare to say that you are like a child who is still speechless and going in his diaper. <laughs> I mean, maybe you are like that because you have settled for less than God has given you as an inheritance. See, I'm not okay. I am satisfied, yes. But I'm not satisfied. Because there are some empty chairs here. And I think about guys like Todd down here on 8th Street who says he's getting older and now he needs to start thinking about spiritual things, but he doesn't believe in God. And I wonder and I pray, could he be sitting here today? I think about my friend who is overcome with drugs and alcohol, but he is a believer and he is in a house of bondage. I think of George on 7th Street, whose wife died during Christmas, and he is angry and wants nothing to do with God. I think about all these different people. I think about many people that we have talked to in Frederick. And I, and I pray, and I am not satisfied because I imagine them sitting here receiving the ministry of redemption through Jesus Christ. I imagine their conscience being healed. I imagine their emotions being healed. I imagine a smile on their face. I imagine their family here and enjoying the fellowship. I imagine them going to Mission Barbecue and having shrimp. You know, I imagine them being at Senme's house and having mango juice. I imagine them going with Boyette to Rosebud, South Dakota to minister to the Native Americans. I imagine them doing many different things because they have been redeemed by God. You know, I want to say today, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. But don't be satisfied. Because God has given you inheritance. Now let's, let's turn to Galatians. Verses 1 through 5. Now I say that the heir is no longer, is no, as, as long as he is a child, a baby, speechless, different from the servants, though he be Lord of all. It doesn't matter what his inheritance is, he still can't manage his own affairs. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. You know, that is interesting. In the Roman society, it was the job of the Roman, uh, in the Roman society for the Father to initiate his son into manhood. And they would be given a special, like, sash. You know, you see those Roman, you know, statues, and they have those weird, like, sashes they wear around them. That is a sign that they have entered into manhood. And during that ceremony, they would be given their inheritance. And now they were in control, you could say, of their own destiny. You know, I want to say that the Father is looking down upon us today. And He is looking down with love on us. And He is looking at us with great endearments, with great joy. And He's saying, you are my child. And I don't, my desire for you is not to be in bondage, but for you to grow up and to be given this inheritance. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, 
to redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoptions of sons. You know, I want to say today, I think next week, I was going to talk about adoption today, but as I was studying it, I, I couldn't get past this idea that we are redeemed. We are redeemed. Before you are adopted, before you are adopted, you need to be redeemed. You go to a place, you fill out the paperwork, you're under scrutiny, you know, background checks by the FBI. They come and look at your house, make sure everything's child safe, and you pay a bunch of money, right? And you still don't have a child. (laughs) That's what it means to be redeemed. Christ came to this earth under the law and he was scrutinized and scrutinized and turned over and flipped over and accused and accused and then abused physically. And he paid the price. So that way today, we could sit here and worship him. So that way today, we could live outside of Netflix. (laughs) So we could live outside of Amazon Prime. So we could live outside of Facebook and and TikTok and, you know, these things. So we can live outside of what this world has to offer and begin to live inside of Christ and have our expectations from him. Because I tell you, God is inviting us into his house. We are adopted. He paid the price and he's saying, children, come home. Come home and see your inheritance. Amen. Amen.